Hi everyone, I'm JJ Reddick and you're listening to The Old Men in the Three. Today's show I'm excited to share is part of the Dell Technologies Small Business Podference. Small businesses are constantly looking for ways to advance their marketing strategies and grow their companies. That's why Dell Technologies assembled an all-star lineup of podcasters to create this year's virtual conference to share advice and inspiration for small businesses. I hope that you find this episode both inspiring and useful as we work together to support small businesses. Dell Technologies is here to help safeguard your business with modern devices and Windows 10 Pro and provide relevant content for your business's success. To find more participating podcasts, search for Dell Technologies Small Business Podference on the Odyssey app, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts at the end of this episode. Hey everyone, it's The Old Man in the Three with me, JJ Reddick, and my co-host, Tommy Alter. This is part three of our conversation with Ben Winston as he gives incredible insight on transforming for a new tomorrow post-COVID. This is The Old Man in Three with J.J. Reddick and Tommy Alter. You mentioned the dealing with all the different artists and, the, and what that entails and the huh. big, big personalities, to put it one way, that, oh. that, that means. So we had um, Adam McKay on a couple weeks ago, and we talked about this with him because we were... We're, again, we're making this sort of comparison to like the NBA locker room when he's done a couple movies where he has the biggest movie stars on the planet and the movie's doing one for Netflix this year, but he did Big Short, was like this, W was like this. And he basically has to juggle all these different personalities and make sure that everybody gets along and the product is good. And and what it seems like is that is probably more difficult doing a thing like the Grammys than it is on something like a movie. Do you have any like advice on how to do that and also sort of like come out mentally in one piece when you're dealing with just people that have, you know, ulterior desires and you, you have to sort of bring them all together. Yeah. Don't go into it thinking, you know, best because they're in those positions for a reason. So I think sometimes producers and I see it, they'll have an idea for an artist and they'll really want that to get, you know, they'll really only be able to think like that. And actually what we tried to do with this year's Grammys was we'd meet with everybody and I'd say, look, this is the design of the set. It's going to be in the round. I'd really love, you know, I'd love you. What I'm asking from you is that you perform within this space because that would be really cool. But you also stay around to watch the other three or four artists in your part because some of the best moments was Post Malone, you know, laughing during WAP or or Billie Eilish watching Harry or like those moments were really beautiful. So that was what I asked them. But then I said, look, I, what, what do you want to sing? What do you want to perform? How do you want it set? And if they wanted our ideas and they wanted our feedback, I would happily give it because I'd have 10. And if they didn't, if they said, if it's somebody like Taylor Swift, as an example, she's such a like visionary for what she wants. You just go, we'd love you to be here. You know best, like, how much time do you want, you know, in the show? What can you, and she just delivers it. And then there's other artists who sort of look on you for help. Um, and so some artists you deal with a lot. Like I had like loads of conversation with baby. We had loads of Zooms. The guy's incredible, man. Like I love him. He'd on, he was on every, some artists you never see, right? They send their manager, they send their publicist. They don't want to know. They're like, you know, you don't even meet them to the day. And if you do meet them on the day, they're a bit like, who's this guy? The baby was on every Zoom. He was on every call. He wanted to know. He wanted to talk about ideas. He wanted to brainstorm stuff. It was all his ideas. I, I, I take no credit for it. But like, 
you as a producer those sorts of artists it's it's interesting you like will them to do better in a way on the show because you've been they, they're so brilliant to work with i think the baby's a star man i'm a, I, I, like i he was somebody who who, who who i knew of of course in the lead up to this but never worked with or or had a specific opinion on other than like i'd like some of his records and at the back of it i was like oh i'm all in on the baby i think the guy's a megastar um but like so so yes you were dealing with a lot of them you know and and of course some are more difficult than others some are more engaged than others um but i think that's often it's about going look you know this is a big show this is a big audience it's a big international audience that people forget you know they talk about the rating on the night but you know i saw Dua Lipa's thing the other day her performance on the night got whatever it got there's like 29 30 million hits on that performance on the grammys and of course you're in however many countries you're in so yeah i mean working with the artists is, is something that you just got to be good at and you just got to listen as much as you talk that's what i would say in, in those situations um and then and then because you've listened to them you know what they want to get across and if you know what they want to get across maybe you can help them get that across a little bit better maybe you can improve an idea that they had throw something out show them a reference go well what about this and suddenly they're like then you understand what they want from it rather than just always thinking about what you or the show wants. And I, and I hope that the artists who are on our show feel really great about it. And I think they do. The feedback we've had is people really love doing it this year and really enjoyed being part of it. I want to, I want to sort of uh, change gears for a second. And you and I talked, uh, we had a lovely zoom uh, about a week ago. We talked for about two hours we needed of, it, didn't we? We needed, we needed it. was a good catch up. We needed a catch up. And you provided me with some color on this Super League debacle. And I feel like for a lot of uh, American sports fans who maybe casually follow uh, European football and, and the Champions League and the EPL, um, they don't quite understand what the uproar is about. So can you just sort of provide our listeners uh, with with just the the, the feeling? Because you are, I mean, you are probably one of the world's biggest Arsenal fans. They're your home team. They're your home club. Uh, you grew up, I think there was a period of your t- of time in your adult life where you went to every single game home and away for a number of years. You once had an Arsenal podcast, I believe, if that's yeah, if it's, my memory. It's, it's still going strong. <laughs> it's uh, still going. I don't do it anymore. I don't okay. do it anymore. It's called Footballistically Arsenal. And yes, yeah. we used to, I, I was on it for like three years. I used to do yeah. it every Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. Can you just provide sort of some details about why there was this uproar when these owners tried to make the Super League? I'll try. It's hard to explain in the same way that it was hard for the owners to understand what a terrible decision that they were making. But without exaggerating, it would have been the end of football as we know it. And as someone who's been going to Arsenal since the late 80s, I would no longer have gone to my football club had this gone through. And I think the majority of supporters would have joined us. It was a decision made for the people who watch on television around the globe. And it was a decision that every single person who truly understands football, and I'm not going to call it soccer, who truly understands football, understood how it was the end of the game as we know it. Football in the UK was is a working class game. It isn't about the top 20 teams and the Arsenal's and the Man United's. It's about 92 teams in a pyramid. It's about the top division, top 20, 
One person wins, the bottom go down to the next division. There's another 20 teams, then another 20 teams, then below that five divisions. And every single team in English football can be world beaters. Every single team can get up that pyramid and win the title, win the English league. And that is what's beautiful about it. Three years ago, Leicester City, a team that probably most of America at the time hadn't even heard of, a small team in Leicester. I can't begin to explain who they were a few years before they won, suddenly went on to be world beaters and won the English Premier League. That is the most beautiful thing about English football that anybody can take it. And that is the point. And every single game matters in English football. And the reason why every single game matters in English football is the bottom three teams go down a division. They lose all that TV money. They have to, they're not playing Man United and Man City every week. They're playing Rochdale and Hartlepool. I don't know. They are just not playing the bigger teams. Every game matters. Every game you go to and you care about it. And the other reason why it matters is the top four teams in English football qualify for what's called the Champions League. And that is where all of the best teams in Europe, from from Czechoslovakia to France to wherever, Israel to England, all of the best teams play each other. But the only people who represent England in that is if you're in the top four. So that means a team like Arsenal this season, we're 10th. We're having a terrible year. But every game matters because there's still a chance of getting to fourth. And if you get to fourth, you're in Champions League. And if you're in Champions League the next season, then you could be playing Real Madrid and you are in a knockout tournament that could one day lead to glory. If I could choose one thing to have more than any other in the world, if you said to me right now, Ben, you've got a choice. England win the World Cup. You win an Oscar. Uh, I don't know. Give me some choices that don't involve my family. Everything will be no. I just want Arsenal to win the Champions League one day in my lifetime. It's all I want. It's all I want. And I used to travel, as JJ said, when I was at university. And even when I was in my 20s and 30s, I flew to Azerbaijan two years ago from America to go to that Europa Cup final. It matters to us so much playing in Europe. Over the years, these foreign owners have come into the game and they've seen us as franchises and brands, which we're not. We're working class clubs created by the fans, created by local people, embedded in the community that they serve. No football club would ever up sticks and move to a different part of England. No franchise would ever go, hey, Arsenal are now in Manchester. It's just not the way it works. Just not the way it works. You are your team. You are your local. I don't have a choice who I support. My nearest team is Arsenal. So I'm Arsenal. That's the way it is. But these foreign owners have come in at various different clubs. There's Abu Dhabi owners in, I'm not just saying it's Americans. There's Abu Dhabi uh, owners at Man City. There's a Russian owner at Chelsea. There's American owners at Liverpool and Man United and my club, Arsenal. Um, And we've always been worried that maybe they didn't necessarily fully understand what this team means to local people and what it means to the 40,000 in that stadium every single week and the wider community because it's not just the 40,000 who care about it it's the millions in London that care about it and they showed us last week that truly they couldn't have really understood it because what they created was they said without telling anybody without consulting any of the fans 12 elite teams six of them English and let's only talk about the English ones for a second because the, the the six from abroad is a different story that's an in, that's that's a whole nother thing But these six, Man City, Man United, Liverpool, Chelsea, you could say those are four of the best teams. Then Arsenal, my team and Tottenham. Tottenham are eighth or ninth. We're probably 11th right now. We're not in the top six teams. We may be the top richest six teams in English football. We're not in the top six teams. They decided they were pulling 
the champ, all of us six out of competition in the Champions League. The, t the, the competition that I've grown up dreaming of one day winning, that European Championship. I've, I've, I've gone to bed at night crying because we're out of it. When we lost to Bayern Munich or Pauk Salonika or all these teams over the years, I thought one day we'll get there. But the owners, in their great wisdom, decided actually, no, no, no. They were going to decide to make their own league. They were basically trying to make the NBA, where they would take the best teams in Europe, 20 teams only, and every year, the same 15 founding members would always be in this European competition, however good they were in their domestic league. We could finish 17th. We'd still be in the European League every week. And we would play each other five or six times during a season. And essentially, they were trying to turn us into a franchise. What does that mean? Why is that negative? Firstly, it means nothing if you win it because it's a tournament that no one cares about. No one's qualified to be in it. No one's won their league. No one's finished in the top four of their domestic league to be in it. So it means nothing. It's a meaningless trophy that they're awarding themselves. That's the first thing. Second thing is, when it looks like you're going to lose it, what does it matter? We're in it next year. We're one of the founding members because our billionaire owners decided that's how life should be. So therefore, there's no jeopardy in it. There's no jeopardy in it. And I think there's it as an outsider, I can talk about the NBA for a while, but let's park that for a second. But there's no jeopardy in it. Second of all, th sorry, third of all, I remember going to Milan. I remember going to Milan that night we won when Cesc Fabregas and Thierry Henry scored. I remember that night in Madrid when Thierry Henry, when we won 1-0, I was celebrating in Madrid. I remember those nights, they meant something because those are the games that as a football fan you strive for. They're what we support the game for. They are, they are live or die games that mean everything. I remember that European Cup final we lost to Barcelona in. We were going to play them six times a year, each one of them. I don't want to play Real Madrid six times a year. I don't want to play anyone six times a year. That's not how football works. Just, I, you, we play, we, we want to play everybody. We want to play the small teams because then the small teams can beat the big teams and then they can qualify for you because that's the fun of football. That's the idea of it. So firstly, the whole thing was... Awful and pointless. Second of all, then it also ruin, would ruin our domestic league. And the reason it would ruin the Premier League is you would have six teams that had three times the money of all our opponents. And so then you're in a league where six teams have a ton more money than the other 14. What an unfair league to be in. I don't, I don't want to be in that league. I don't want to be in a league where it's just pointless. But also, if we're not going to win the league, because let's say we're sixth or seventh, we've got nothing to play for anymore. We're not going to win the league. We don't need to finish in the top four to qualify for Europe. We're already in Europe. You know what? Let's rest the kids. Let's play the kids and rest the big players. And instead, they're going to be playing Real Madrid for the 18th time this year instead on, on Saturday. All football, both domestic and European, became worthless and meaningless. And it broke our hearts because it was people who have taken over our clubs, who some of which we trusted, and they just categorically didn't understand what made the club valuable in the first place. They just didn't get the game. And so it was a brutal 48 hours where we definitely thought it was going to happen. And it was a dark time. But luckily, they didn't realise the power of the fan base. They didn't realise there would be riots in the street. Safe riots, but protests. They didn't realise that the government would bring in laws to stop it. And then it got to a stage where our prime minister, who I've never liked, but suddenly that week I did. Boris Johnson is saying, well, they're not going to be able to use the police for games. We're not in the EU anymore, so we might not let the players into the country. They were coming up with ways of making it incredibly difficult for these owners. 
And it was a decision that was not born out of making football better. Don't think for a second it makes football better. It wouldn't. It would have destroyed domestic football. It would have destroyed the European football. It also would have killed the 92, well, not 92, 92 minus six. It would have killed all of the other clubs in football that had nothing to play for anymore. They had no hope. And all the teams in Europe who can compete against the Real Madrid's and the Barcelona's, that team Hapoel Tel Aviv, that team Pauk Salonika, that team in Slavia Prague, who could have taken on the big teams. And it was all done because they wanted to create, create the NBA. And it was outrageous. I would just say in the end of this rant, and I'm sorry if I went on too long, it's, it's a, but you asked me something I'm passionate about. We're putting about. this rant on YouTube, by the way. And <laughs> just, ultimately, just bro- broken out your rant on this. Is going ultimately, I would say one thing. And that is that they came around and they realized uh, they realized it was a terrible decision. I was pleased with the owner's statement of our club. Arsenal were the only club that at least apologized. They said, we're really sorry. We messed up. Essentially, the train was leaving the station. We weren't going to not get on it. I don't think that my football club were behind this. And I think that's important. If you're going to put this on YouTube, put that in too. Because I, do, I, I don't think, I think this was instigated by John Henry at Liverpool, who's always wanted the European Super League, by Joel Glazer at Man United, and by the Madrid teams, who are abs- by, by Real Madrid and Barcelona, who are broke and need this money because they are in a nothing division where there's only three teams that can ever compete for anything, unlike English football, where anybody can win. And so I, I'm glad that it came to an end. I think that the owners have been taught a lesson that they shouldn't take fans they shouldn't take advantage of fans as they tried to do the other week and I'm glad it's over because it was a dark two days that was very upsetting this episode is just one of many podcasts included in the small business podference presented by Dell Technologies this podcast conference has been created to encourage and inspire small businesses while covering topics like new business strategies influencer marketing and beyond Learn from top names in the podcast world like Jill Schlesinger from Jill on Money, Rhett and Link of Ear Biscuits, and many more. To find more participating podcasts, search for Dell Technologies Small Business Podference on the Odyssey app, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts at the end of this episode. Great rant. Lots of subtle and some unsubtle jabs at the NBA. I will say that. Lots of... Your your example to me was basically like, let's let's have the Clippers and Lakers play six times a year. You know, it loses its its luster to a degree. Well, let me ask you a question about the NBA as a foreigner who really only got into the NBA when I met JJ. When I met JJ, I properly got all in and uh, and went to loads of Clippers games. You know, I even flew to Philadelphia a couple of times to see you. Like I'm I, I was I'm proper in. When, when you're playing, I watch. But I'm also not, it's not in my blood. Like you can tell, like football is everything to me. Basketball is like, it's good. I'll watch it. It's great. Um, I don't get it. You play an entire season, half, three quarters of a season you are playing for a league position of who you're going to play in the playoffs. That is fundamentally at its core, slightly a waste of time. Am I wrong? Like you, you could lose a game tomorrow. It, it's not going to bother your fans. The, the, the Mavericks fans aren't going to walk around upset because there's another game in two days and it doesn't really affect your position at the end of the season. It's all about the playoffs. The season, like it's all about the playoffs. English football from the first minute of the season in August to the last minute in May, you are playing for three points or one points and it's life or death and it's Europe or it's not Europe. It's relegation, it's promotion. 
And that means everything means something. Whereas I've seen fans leaving the stadiums and often it's like, well, you know, we're going to be in the playoffs. Isn't it? Or we throw away a season. You know, who who potentially, some teams are losing games on purpose. This is what we were talking about before you got on, man. The ha- like the, some of the teams without naming names, JJ's, the, the Mavericks are playing now, do not want to win. They don't want to win. I can't imagine be- that. They're better off if they don't win. That would never happen in English football. It would never happen. There was a game the other day on English football where there was a team in sixth that was a team in English. I can't remember who it was. It was a team in like fifth or sixth, desperately trying to get to fourth. They qualify for Europe. And there was a team in 17th. If they lose, they're down a division all of next year. This was the most exciting game of football you're ever going to find. Bottom versus, you know, a game fifth versus 17th box office. In the NBA, I'm watching a game. I'm like, well, they're going to be in the playoffs. They're going to be, and these guys aren't going to be in the playoffs. What's the point of any of this? And that's what the owners were trying to turn football into. You're just bumming JJ out. <laughs> I'm having an existential crisis right now about the last 15 years of my life. What was the point of all of it, Ben? What was the well, point of all of it? I have a question. No, hold on. I, well, I was just, I was, just, I said this to Ben last week when we talked about this. But it, it is interesting to me when this whole discussion about the play-in game or potentially doing like a mid-season tournament uh, similar to like maybe like the FA Cup in in England. Like our league is trying to figure out ways to be more like European football, whereas like this group of owners did the exact opposite. So it was just, it's a weird sort of juxtaposition. Yeah, and their argument is, no, 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 we weren't affecting the domestic game. We were only talking about Europe. But that's naive. Because the domestic game is all about who qualifies for Europe and who gets relegated. Um, but I, I would say one thing, Ben, in response to the the, the thing about what we we're just talking about, about teams losing on purpose, people are going to respond to incentives, and if there's no consequences in place, i.e., relegation, uh, and the incentive is you could potentially get a better draft pick, it's insane. Uh, then yeah, this behavior is going to continue. But it's built your league. And I don't mean to come on a podcast that's so because I, I get the NBA. I love it. But I, I sometimes struggle with it because it feels like it's a it's a it's a league. It's a league built for the owners and it's a league built for business. And but I that's think all that's, American sports, though. That's not just the NBA. The NFL is the same way. OK, well, that's not Britain. That's not football. Yeah. And football is definitely money. Don't get me wrong. There's huge money that's in the game. But ultimately, it's built by the fans and it's for the fans. And. We don't have a choice if these foreign owners are going to come and buy our football clubs. We get it. But don't try and change our game. You can't do that. It's, that's not allowed. I was going to ask both of you, do you think that the American owners, not to specifically call them out, but because they're used to moving American teams and moving cities with no repercussions from anybody, no, no protests in the streets, league, not only in certain cases, leagues actually encouraging it and helping them do it. Do you think they were... They were naive a little bit in terms of like, oh, we think we can just do this. And this happens in the U.S. all the time. And even though like people in the specific city might be upset about it, there's really no way of sort of stopping it. And they were yeah. not ready for like the what it what it means to the people like you. No, they weren't ready for it. Uh, and some of them might have their phone numbers and they definitely weren't ready for the text that they got. <laughs> uh, but that's for another day. Um <laughs> I think that they thought that naively, I think they thought some supporters would be excited by the idea of us always being in Europe, whereas I want to be in a competition that I deserve to be in and that I've earned the right to be in rather than one that I've just been given because my owner is friendly with the other owners. Um, 
That's the first thing. And the second thing is I think that they were thinking about the international audience. They were thinking about CBS and how CBS would love Real Madrid versus Arsenal every week. But actually, if CBS... But if Real Madrid and Arsenal didn't mean anything because it's for a nothing league that no one cares about and you're playing them six times a year, then actually there wouldn't have been the market there. You can't take over a sport where people care passionately about, remove the passion and expect people still to care. So, yeah, I think they were naive. And look, there's many great things about the NBA, many great, great things about the NBA. So this isn't me knocking the NBA. It's just saying it's two different sports built on two very different foundations. And to try and put one into the other is a square peg in a round hole. Um, I think me. that's all very fair. I think that's all very fair. Uh, ben, this has been awesome. Thank you for the time. Uh, thank you for talking about your career. Full well, the last year, all the things you're passionate about. Uh, we really appreciate it. I Well, I've loved being here. And I, and I have to say, I do think, and I want to just say one thing before we go. And I'm, firstly, I'm sorry if I've rambled for too long about Leslie Moonves and Grammys and Super Leagues, but... Hey, listen, you got me on a good night. I can't stop talking. But uh, I think it's I think you've done such a great job with this podcast. I genuinely I do. It keeps me occupied and amused and entertained and informed. And I think the pair of you, it's like the new Kelly and Ryan. It really is. I mean, looking at you two, it's it's a magnificent pairing. Lovely to see you both. Thank you for having me. It's always wonderful to see you both. See you, man. Great to see you, bud. Hey, thanks so much for listening to our conversation with Ben Winston. All three parts here for the Dell Technologies Small Business Podference. 